0: Thank you. Um, it, it is my second time here, and uh, I really felt quite at home today. I, I'm staying in Warrnambool, and uh, I called for a lift into Port Ferry, and this fellow picked me up, and of course, he's a complete stranger. And uh, we got to talking, and I said, uh, you wouldn't happen to know Shane Howard, would you? And he said, oh, yes, he said, I know Shane Howard. I said, oh, wow, and we talked about that for a bit, and then I said... Uh, you wouldn't happen to know a fellow by the name of Arthur Howie, or Howie. And he said, oh, yes, I know Arthur. And by the time we finished the conversation, he knew five people I knew. So uh, I felt quite at home. But uh, I want to thank you uh, for coming. And uh, I want to thank uh, uh, the uh, owners of the business here to, for having me, Blarney Books. And um, when I was asked to do a workshop, um, I I feel like I'm very much an unschooled poet. I, I don't feel like I uh, uh, know enough about the nuts and bolts of poetry to to try to teach poetry. So I thought what I would do is I would uh, talk about the things that inspire me and uh, read some examples uh, of poems that uh, have come from various uh, inspirations. And I'll start with a fellow by the name of Marc Chagall, who was a a French-Russian painter who I've loved since I was a child. And uh, one day I was uh, resting, and I started to think I was going to take a nap, and I started to think, uh, what would it have been like if Chagall had painted uh, Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem? And as I thought about it, I, the images kept coming and coming, and I was thinking, geez, I've I got to remember this. I think I'll write a poem when I, when I get up. And, but it just kept coming, and I said, okay, I'm going to get up and, and write a poem. And so I got out of bed, and I scribbled down all these images that I had had uh, in my head, and I ended up uh, with something that I called Christ and Chagall at the gates of Jerusalem. So I'll read that to you now. And he did ride unto Jerusalem upon the timid foal of a donkey, never ridden, and it was blue and deep as autumn's crisping sky. And on his smooth shoulders he wore a robe the color of blood, and the very stones did cry out to him, and the day was golden as amber steps and streams of honey, surrounded by April wheat, the color of the sun and the horizon did bleed streaks of saffron like a newborn's tears for Friday afternoon. And a warm wind blew behind him, braided with lavender and lilac and sweet jasmine, like a gift from the east. Upon his head, a crown of light, imperceptible to the human eye, like a far-off nebula, a million light-years across, but seen with the heart beneath a ribcage that would spread itself for one small glance like the sting of the honeybee, a selfless act to put oneself before another. And the faces of the people were like springtime where blossoms white betray the pink of infancy and the greenest shoots leap toward heaven from the cracked and thirsty earth. And the prayers of the innocent did flow like sweet water in the desert before the feral sun should carry it to paradise on the back of an updraft like the pegasus who will not suffer to plod upon the land. And the very gates of the city shook as the plates of the earth awaited their instructions and the sun prepared to hide itself away for the answer to the question of that justice had arrived to sate the hungry gate Unto the holy city, what is truth? So that was my first uh, Chagall poem, and uh, I enjoyed writing it so much that I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna write a, a hundred poems interpreting the paintings of Chagall. And um, by sheer coincidence, I was uh, planning to go to Montreal for five weeks, and so. I got on the internet to see what was at the uh, Montreal Museum of Fine Arts. And to my surprise and delight, there was a gigantic Chagall exhibit at the museum, 350 pieces uh, by the artist. So I went to Montreal, and I would, uh, my work is portable, so I would work during the day, work until about three o'clock in the afternoon, and then I'd go down to the art gallery and uh, look for paintings uh, to try to interpret. And uh, the first time that I walked into the gallery, the lights were muted, there was klezmer music playing, and I was so overwhelmed uh, by the sheer beauty of it that I just started to weep, and I was just walking from painting to painting, uh, and it was just overcome. And um, so I spent a very pleasant five weeks in Montreal, and uh, as a matter of fact, it, not only was it the most enjoyable thing I've ever done as an artist, but it's one of the most enjoyable things I've ever done in my life. And um, so I'm going to read a few of the the poems uh, that I wrote in Montreal. This will be the first time that I'm ever reading them because the, the book is not published yet. It's with my agent and he's shopping it. Um, one of the paintings is called Cow with a Parasol, and it's just a, a painting of a cow with an umbrella. And Chagall would never let uh, logic get in the way of w- beauty, uh, which I really liked about him. He uh, he has a childlike sense about him, and uh, so I thought that was kind of a, a nice metaphor. So I, I wrote a poem uh, based on the painting Cow with Parasol, which Chagall... Um, Uh, painted in 1946. I will not build a fence around the color or the love that wells up from the source of every source of light or each pure nascent note that leaves the tiny fledgling when the sky makes him its tutor. I will not send the boy into the tired world of men to drown his sense of wonder, for boys do not mature like wine, when first they taste the vinegar of tedium or the hemlock of conformity. No, I will leave it to the practical to build their roads and bridges while I construct a thousand small bouquets and stir these coals that burn like the center of the sun, searing like the never-blinking eye of God to which all vision flows. For we who wet our lips in the cool dark pool of the hidden source of wonder Know that light and streaming color are not our masters, but the drumming in our breasts like the meadow's small explosion when first the grouse are startled to the heavens and wonder come like thunder, crashing down as darkness leaves the sky again to give another virgin to the world when Christ is in the swallow's pirouette and the lilac wind that fills your thirsty lungs. And then another one of the uh, Chagall paintings I love very much is called Lovers Among the Lilacs. And uh, I've always loved lilacs. I don't know if you have lilacs in Australia. It might be too hot here. Yeah, you do. Um, we had them when I was a kid. And um, uh, in here I, I refer to, to a lilac kiss. And when we were little, what we would do is we would when the lilacs were in bloom, we'd go and we'd we'd pluck the tiny blossoms and you could squeeze a drop of nectar on your tongue. It was very sweet. And they, they call that a lilac kiss. And uh, lilacs have always been one of my favorite things in life. And so this beautiful painting in in a kind of a blueberry wash, uh, uh, this beautiful bouquet of lilacs with a pair of lovers nestled in it. I thought that looks like a pretty good place to be. So um, I wrote this. It's called "Lover, Lovers Among the Lilacs, and it's from a painting that Chagall did in 1930. <clears throat> My heart, will you hide from the world with me this morning? I will take you deep inside the lilac sweet bouquet, for it is a bed made for lovers beneath the tree of knowledge, which does shade us from the eye of judgment. Is it blue enough for you, my love? For I would stain the very clouds with blueberries and orchids to feel your eyelids flutter on my grateful hungry skin, a butterfly awakened by the restless eye of God in April's pleasant orchards. Is it sweet enough for you, my love? For she does arouse the worker bee and ruby-throated hummingbird. She is the secret sweetheart of my youth. One small blossom I will place upon your tongue that you may know the sweetness of her kiss and delicate affection for the beauty of her fragrance does make the meadow's lavender to blush in silent envy. Is it soft enough for you, my love? For it is soft as the cooing of the dove, soft as the infant's trickling laughter in his sleep, and soft as the breast that does tempt my trembling hand. Is it warm enough for you, my love? For my heart is an ember made for cold and lonely hands, and my body is a blanket from the cool winds of spring. My love, a prairie fire that never shall be quenched, for the love it must send forth is the oxygen that keeps it burning brightly night and day. So will you hide from the world with me deep inside the lilac sweet bouquet? For there is hidden, for there is a hidden bed there made for lovers beneath the tree of knowledge, and the eye of God is turned the other way. Thank you. Thank you. And then I, I, there's another beautiful one called the, um, the expulsion from paradise, uh, which is when God booted Adam and Eve out. And I always kind of felt like Adam and Eve got a raw deal, uh, like the cards were kind of stacked against them. So uh, that was the inspiration uh, for this uh, interpretation of a Chagall painting. Why Lord were we naked in the garden if beholding our own beauty our vestal vestal souls were stung with the burden of your banishment. Why, Lord, build a temple for the ages, the sacred walls of which may never resonate with joyful psalms or reverent benediction, where frankincense and myrrh are forbidden. And, Lord, a great thirst you have given me and set it near that green and gentle river where I might cleanse but may not drink its sweet and sating waters. Might one of higher virtue ford it now and wet my parching tongue that I might yet petition, for I do not understand. And why, Lord, if naive and innocent we reached out for those boughs so low and heavy-laden are we subject to your wrath? Is knowledge the mother of all sin? And if so, tell us plainly We beseech thee, why? For you have built a temple for the ages, and we would only fill it with reverence and song and incense like ether to anesthetize the void and the fruit of your labor, that green and gentle river. Why does it flow if not to quench the urgent thirst of man? And if we search for wisdom, in the splendor of your garden? Is this a sin to visit on our sons in perpetuity, even as they leave the safety of the womb? Thank you. Thank you. So one last little uh, Chagall theme thing here. Um, While while I was writing the book, um, some of the poems I wrote were prosaic and they were in the form of letters to Chagall and I enjoyed that so much that even after the book was finished, I still kind of keep in touch with Chagall. If something inspires me, uh, if I see something that I think he would have loved to paint, I, I drop him a line. <clears throat> so I live on Prince Edward Island, and there's a cove where I like to go and write. And uh, the cove is really quite beautiful, and it, it always, to my mind's eye, looked like a person... the shape of it, like a person whose arms were open to welcome in the beauty uh, of the day. And I was there in the spring one time, and the earth on PEI is red because there's a lot of iron in the soil, and the red cliffs were brilliant, and I could hear the grackles singing, and the gulls were out. It was just so beautiful. So I decided to uh, drop a little note to Chagall. I call this Letter from Kinloch. On thirst. Dear Chagall, these flats are anxious, Mark, for one who is endearing, a child as bright as you to lift them to the easel of posterity. My cove is open armed like a singer on a stage before his final bow, ready for those rolling waves of love beating on the shores of affirmation up and down the coast. Of aspiration. For each man has a canvas in his heart, Chagall, but only those so favored by the gods as you may save a day like this with oil and sable, mixed with love and gratitude, that willing hearts like mine might still behold its steady burn, through days of rain and cold, that seem eternal. And those who turn the seagull's carefree flight to buoyant notes caressed of wood and string, pluck wonder like a harp from the ether of the firmament and hold it for all mankind as a prayer offered to artistry and witness by the love of God himself. For God did not make souls in the forge of his ambition for labor or for tedium, but as a constant craving for righteousness and beauty. For what is wine, Chagall, no matter what the vintage, no matter it be red as blood or fragrant as a rose, if not for thirst. This is what a soul is for, and God's unyielding gift to man is more than simple beauty. His greatest of all gifts, Chagall, is thirst. For the tree whose roots reach deep into a watery source will never cast an anxious glance unto the blue horizon, for a promissory note of cotton tumbleweeds rolling in from heaven like a salve to soothe the cracked hard skin of River Jordan. And they who thirst in winter's bleakest days and yearn for one small ember in the hour of total darkness when the whereabouts of Saul are yet unknown, turn hopefully to those as you who fill the world with color and the air with trills and harmonies to keep the red breast sharp and save the brightest rays of warming sunshine for the darkest days of winter. For such as these are mirrors to reflect back unto God those places in our hearts, like this, my lonely cove, before the blossoms yet have shown the blush upon their cheeks unto the morning. Always, dear Chagall, whenever I see beauty, taste it in the air, Feel it in the burn of salty streams along my cheeks. Do I sense the love of God imbued unto my breast? For those who paint their small bouquets, raise their holy voices, and share the tender gift of their affection with we who live in poverty of spirit through the night and who daily yearn for beauty and devotion. Your most affectionate friend in poetry, Bob. Thank you Thank you So we're talking today about <clears throat> or I'm talking about uh, inspiration. I take inspiration from many different things. Uh, sometimes uh, they're beautiful things, sometimes they're personal it could, could be a, a you know a world events in the news um, <clears throat> And this, this is a, a much darker poem. Um, I did grow up in a small town, not unlike uh, Port Ferry. Uh, it was a wonderful community. Um, it was beautiful there. We had great freedom. We could jump on our bikes and explore the forests and uh, the beaches. And it was really a great place to grow up. Uh, and I didn't know it at the time, but there were predators in the community And they hurt people uh, very badly, including uh, many of my friends and, and my own brother. And so that's what this is about, and I call it a heavy millstone. We gathered, we, the faithful, when summoned by that bell, the small, the weak, the innocent, drawn to its knell. Three hours hid the sun when that vulgar show began, the rapist with the Eucharist upon his filthy hands, hands that tore the fleece from the smallest faithful lamb, and hands that left the soul defiled and primed it to be damned. And when his rape had finished, and mass had then begun, he placed the holy host upon the slaughtered lamb's young tongue. One hundred faithful in their pews knew well the father's sin, but offered up those trusting doves their precious helpless kin. Men who to a burning house to save the child within would rush without a thought allowed that sacrificial sin. And women, selfless shepherds, who were turned back at the inn, sat silent and obedient while the faithful flock was thinned. And in that great cathedral, built to glorify his God, the bishop killed the lamb when he spared the priest his rod. And for every priest and layman who hid the vulgar truth. May there be a heavy millstone to justify lost youth. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I have another poem here that was inspired by a dream. 29 years ago, I had the most remarkable dream That's a long time ago and I still to this very day take comfort from that dream. I call this who but Daniel. I saw him in a dream so many years ago. Laughter beyond measure from that small aortic flow. Even now I cannot help but smile as I recall the way I knew his heart on that rainy night, that fall. My voice was in his laughter, and his joy was in my soul. His love was in my breast, like the bonfires warming coals. And when I shook the sun and bade him wake the lazy day, still I felt his laughter, and it kept the rain at bay. And all day long I wondered who the laughing child could be, for I could not place his eyes, but his soul was known to me. And though he never spoke a word, his message was quite plain, that his heart was full of living, that his joy was unrestrained. And who could solve a dream like this but Daniel in the den? How does a soul know what to choose? To show the love within. But that night the rain kept falling. And his laughter left my ears. And it was the darkest evening. Watered with the cruelest tears. For the hopeful place that we had set. For one is yet to come. Would be taken from our table. Before the morning sun. Our tears were like November's darkened days of frozen rain, and the searing air we breathed, splinters pulled against the grain. And when the skies had cleared and the tears had drained away, I thought back to that recent dream I'd had upon that day. A laughing little boy without a single word to say, unbridled in his joy, like the leaping trout's ballet. Perhaps he made a shallow dive into the living stream, but still he saw the eddies where the sleeping rainbows dream. Perhaps he saw the sorrow that was coming on the dawn and perhaps he let me know that the journey was still on. For who would share that dream but my Daniel in the den? And who knows what a soul might choose to show the love within. Thank you. <clears throat> Vincent uh, Van Gogh, Van Gogh, I guess they say, uh, used to talk about these gr- great moments of, of clarity he had. And he said... Uh, I experience a period of frightening clarity in those moments when nature is so beautiful I am no longer sure of myself and the paintings appear as in a dream. And I think we probably all have moments like that. I know I do where just the whole universe sometimes just seems to gel and it just seems that everything is in sync. You feel you're at the center of it and you feel like, uh, I don't know, just... uh, like you're a, a part of the universe that, that you belong, you know. It's it's hard to describe. So that's what this poem is. I call it the ecstasy of one, and it's an attempt uh, to describe uh, those little epiphanies that I think, as I say, most of us have. <clears throat> Dawn is never tentative, nor timid, nor commiserate to those who dread its light. It illuminates the evil and the good the fearful and the brave, and sends its lush rains to the meadows of the just and the unholy, without prejudice or favor. It does not possess an ear to hear the prayer of the afflicted, nor a heart to feel the terror of its first encroaching rays upon those who taste its hunger or receive its burning sky. Nor will dawn be rushed to climax by those who seek its beauty, for the sake of the impatient or the fumbling hand of chastity. The first faint rays will pulsate softly through swollen thunderheads and and, build, and slowly build towards a symphonic crescendo of light erupting on, on the naked horizon in an atmospheric coupling that will leave the voyeur trembling on the shores of Mother Ocean, on the shores of the new, of the new morning, on the shores of eternity and of the artistry of God. To the young, the summer days will linger, timeless love in dappled orchards, salty afternoons on August endless shores, cotton batten bluster on a cobalt-shattered sky, aching with the fervent love of union and a visceral awareness, the ecstasy of one eternal to those who are lost in its sensual embrace, consumed like moths in its conjugal flame, drawn to the rim of that shining cup, on one side the abyss, on the other the ecstasy of one. Outside of time, immune to the setting sun, surrounded by eternity on all sides, open-ended to the tiniest of minds, The immaculate conception of the unlearned. Faith and eternity, indistinguishable. Held by the smallest hand, tight and warm and sticky. Clutched not with trepidation, but with reckless abandon. Days without end, dreams without waking. Waves that are unbroken, tides that never fall. Flight like the albatross who never touches down. Stand and face the sun, open the palms of your hands and accept nothing but the warm rays upon your skin, the fragrant breeze inside your nostrils, the fervent love of union, the ecstasy of one. Accept everything that you can change and that you cannot change, that you love and that you hate, deny the setting sun for the warm rays on your face bind you to it, and you may impede its beauty with cables of desire, with the fervent love of union and the ecstasy of one. Thank you. <clears throat> so, I was, I was talking about how I love lilacs, and uh, I guess my, my tastes are quite simple. My three favorite things in life are lilacs, blue skies, and brilliant sunshine. And there's really nothing quite like brilliant sunshine, uh, whether it's in the morning, whether it's uh, shining through uh, pure water, maybe at a sunset. Excuse me. And uh, there was one morning uh, a while back that was particularly beautiful, and I wrote this little poem that I call Ode. To morning sunshine. She flows this silent river as quicksilver, peeling back the earth's blanket of darkness, for beauty's thirst is constant for that river in the sky. Like morning church bells, she the breath of God, the breath of the eternal, the currency of thirst, and the trade winds of desire. And in these folding pastures, these golden heads of wheat that bow before her majesty are gilded of her kindness. While the genius of the dawn is to paint the heavens blue that the sea cannot but imitate the deeper sea above it. And in the hidden depths of each abyssal sea are dragons of the darkness and dragons of the mind each of which would wither in the full glare of that great unyielding burn. Earth absorb her holiness like summer's gentle rain, the daughter of that spark from that moment in the long ago when Yahweh clapped his hands and out of boundless darkness leapt the the phosphorus of life and the sacred burning heart of consecration. She flows across my face, and deep into my breast skips off the horizon like a small, flat, foundling stone, thrown with a precision that mocks the law of gravity, where science and religion are one and are the same. Abjure each dark pool of sorrow, and like the rambling Baptist, prepare ye now the way and make a straightened path to wake the sleeping redbreast who cannot sing but on your gentle shores along the banks of twilight when the morning's cherished rays are a symphony of hope. Um, And if you live in the part of the world that I do, uh, if you want inspiration, I think nature has no greater act uh, in Atlantic Canada and Central Canada than the autumn. I, I know I was in Canberra a couple of years ago and, and I was surprised to see the leaves turning color there. It, uh, it felt very familiar. Uh, at home, we have a lot of maple trees and, and the maples turn red, while most of the other trees turn various shades of yellow and orange. And of course, we have the coniferous trees that remain green, so you get this beautiful patchwork Uh, of color in the autumn, and when the colors are at their peak, when there are lots of maples uh, on a bright sunny day, it can almost seem like the hills are on fire. They seem iridescent, and uh, I was out on such a day as that, and um, I felt compelled to write this poem that I call To God in Three Small Words. Before this blazing bonfire of the vanities of God, when soft the warm west wind is a feather on my face, playful as the infant's laughing eyelashes, a monarch in the sweet caress of flight. These eyes and ears of God, this breath stolen of wonder, the hungry skin of solitude, a mouth that chafes for one small drop of nectar to quench the thirst for color in the soul. I am high upon this holy breeze, basking in the warmth of the valley's maple embers, as roaming vees of southbound geese herald in the dawn, and split the morning sky like kindling for yearning in the hungry hearth of man, dividing into realms of east and west the captive heavens, each of whom would kill the fatted calf and claim the wayward sun as its own. Raise your arms in wonder. Cast the shadow of a dove. Expel your final breath to God in three small words. It is done. For the heart of man is crucified upon this peaceful hill where providence is burning for beauty on its knees. Thank you. I meant to time myself uh, when I started this. I have no idea how long I've gone, so you can get a cane and yank me off if I, if I go past my, uh, my allotted time. <clears throat> when I was a kid, I did a lot of hitchhiking. Uh, when I was 15 years old, um, I read Woody Guthrie's autobiography, Bound for Glory, and I thought, boy, there's nothing... Uh, I could think of that would be cooler than to go out on the road and play music, write songs, work odd jobs. And uh, so that was my dream. And I made my first big trip when I was 17 between uh, grades 11 and 12. I hitchhiked from Atlantic Canada to Vancouver Island and back. I was six weeks on the road and covered some 9,000 miles. And uh, I really got a taste for it. And so after I finished school... I went out and I lived that life uh, for a few years. And um, one winter, me and a buddy ended up in Tampa. Uh, It was during the recession of 1982. And it was really, there were no jobs in Canada. It was very bleak. So we thought, we'll go to Florida. And uh, our idea was, uh, we'll pick a few oranges and lay on the beaches. And uh, when we got there, we were broke. And we found that... Even the agricultural jobs just didn't exist. There were thousands of people who had been displaced, just ordinary people, teachers and professionals, uh, you know, who had always maintained a job, always had a, a good, steady income, and suddenly they were living under bridges. Now, that would never happen to that degree in Canada because we have different social programs. But in America, it, it does happen. And... Um, In Tampa, there was this dichotomy. On the one hand, there's a very strong Christian culture, so it seemed almost like a holy place. But on the other hand, it was a very rough city. It was very violent. And uh, one of the things that was uh, frightening when we were down there, because we lived on the street for a while before we finally managed to get some some jobs and, and get ourselves a little flop house where we could at least have a door to close behind us, there were uh, street gangs who would go around at night and they'd find these old men sleeping under a bridge or in bushes and they'd pour gasoline on them and set them on fire. So, um, And that's referenced in here. So it seemed like there was this great confluence of the sacred and the profane. Uh, I call this Tampa. <clears throat> what drew me to the holy streets of Tampa where perdition and salvation walked together and shared the darkened corners, where the wayward lay their heads when Saul reposes. Was it winter or recession that brought the great migration, providence or desperation that pulled us to your heart? Such cruelty I had not yet imagined. Broken men ignited midnight torches like Nero's brilliant Christians, illuminating Roman streets with oil and wood and martyrdom. Such benevolence I had not yet imagined, kindness and charity that I did report as sacraments. And who are you, JC, with the initials of a savior and the piercing eyes of the devil? How did you come to purchase your accommodation in the cruel cage of Attica, What was the dark heart of your secret? Was it murder or something more sinister? For a soul can no worse stain than the lethal mark of Cain. We did not steal, but we ate the food you'd stolen. We did not trust you, but we let you watch our backs. For hunger and weakness are not so discerning as abundance and strength. We three, each in our own way, sought the eye of the needle, the narrow gate into the holy city. I dismounted and found it on the street and beneath the bridges, where bedrolls and refuse pass for an abode. For the gate was not a golden arch, but a broken road trodden by the unholy, the unclean, the untouchables. You too saw it in the charlatans, the false prophet who offered salvation for one hundred dollars, but whose pernicious spill, spell dissipated, like the early morning sun, before—excuse <clears throat> me—like the early morning fog before the sun at Tampa's heavy dawn. Excuse me. <coughs> Tampa, thou holy city; Tampa, thou son of perdition, where salvation was offered for a beggar's alms and hobos carried scripture. In a little church on Franklin Street, I met one of your prophets, an old street fighter whose road to Damascus ended in the holy city, Tampa. He spoke to the killers, he preached to the whores, reached out to the junkies with dead eyes and open sores, gave hope to the hopeless with words like a dart Past tired ears to pierce broken hearts. Sons of perdition granted exemption. Atonement traded for priceless redemption. I saw her at the organ, old and frail, erect and fearless. Amazing grace and dignity and stature. A broken man approached her, dressed in rags and gaunt and cheerless. Amazing fodder for the coming rapture. Told her a tale of hopelessness, of solitude and pain. How he'd failed both God and man. How his life was but a stain. Saw the goodness in her eyes as she took his filthy hands. Raised her voice to heaven to invoke the Son of Man. The prayer that flowed was canticle. The tears that flowed a river. The tongues of fire above their heads gave my soul a shiver. A Pentecostal prayer in a language known to God raised a broken man to ecstasy, benediction we did laud. Felt his presence in the room, his pureness touched my heart, his grace like Moses' staff, making seas of sorrow part. Heard his voice against the wind, saw his face against the sun, felt his sorrow on my cheeks when the deluge had begun knew his grace as I lay sleeping, assailable, exposed, beneath the open sky in exhaustion's deep repose. For we had no door to sprinkle, no dispatch in the night. We beseech thee, pass us over until morning's cherished light. For we too might well have been enkindled in the night, like Nero's brilliant Christians, to give the pagans light. If thou wouldst seek the holy city, seek thee not a gate of gold, for the secret of the portal has two thousand years been told. It is a rough-hewn highway the unholy seek to tread. We must count ourselves among them, see that they are loved and fed. For the architect of Eden and the one whose gate we seek walked with such as these, the lost, the lame, the meek, To reach the holy city and that splendid rest of seat, walk thee not only among them, but anoint their blistered feet. Gather thee the stragglers from Medusa's drifting raft, that when he sees thee coming, he might kill the fatted calf. Thank you. I'm sure you've noticed there are there's quite a few uh, religious themes through my poetry. And at one time, <clears throat> I had quite a strong Christian faith, and then I kind of lost it, and I'm sort of in a in an ambivalent uh, place right now. But I've always thought that some of the greatest poetry I've ever read uh, was in the King James version of the Bible, certainly the, the Proverbs and the Psalms, <clears throat> and... The, my personal favorite, the, the greatest poem that I, for me that I've ever read, uh, King Solomon's Song of Songs. So I enjoyed writing the Chagall poem so much, I thought I'm going to try to interpret uh, the Gospels. And so I'm working on a book that I call The Jesus Poems, Poetic Interpretations of the Christ. And there, there is so much beauty uh, in those Gospels um, and one of my favorites is Matthew 5-7, Blessed are the Merciful. And so I've written a poem uh, based on, on that. It's, of course, one of the Beatitudes. And incidentally, um, I'm collaborating right now with a wonderful bluegrass artist from Nashville by the name of Claire Lynch. And uh, she's taken the lyrics, which are written in, in rhyme and meter, and she's uh, trying to turn it into a gospel song. So, blessed are the merciful. <clears throat> who but man, and who but man, who but man molests the lamb, takes him from his peaceful lee, spits upon him as he prays, nails him to a twisted tree, and keeps the doting you at bay. Who but man, And who but man, who but man doth hate the lamb? Plays that cruelty all day long, spares him from the dreaded knife, savored torment his sweet song, prolong, prolong his wretched life. Who but man, and who but man, who but man would slay the lamb? Yet from his high ungainly perch, bloodied, broken, bruised, weak. He looks down on that blessed church. The gentle lamb begins to speak. Who but man, and who but man? Who but man hath heard the lamb? Then summoning his greatest strength, the greatest power that e'er he taught, he wheels it there from one spear's length. Forgive them, Father they know not who but man and who but man who but cruel and heartless man was there forgiven by the lamb and seeing the multitudes he went into the mountain and looking down upon them he did utter holy words words of perfect righteousness blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy Thank you very much. So I've lived all over Canada. And <clears throat> while we're on the theme of um, inspiration, I've lived in Jasper National Park a number of times. And if you're familiar with Jasper, it's it's the gem of the Rockies. It's just absolutely beautiful. Uh, the mountains are spectacular there. And uh, w- we would see animals... Every day and we'd go into the back country a lot. We saw wolves, we saw grizzlies, uh, bison, caribou, wolverines, just every animal you could think of. It was a, It was a great uh, privilege to live there. And um, sometimes you felt like you were part of a National Geographic uh, uh, special just walking out the front door, because at night we would sometimes we get up in the morning and there would be 15 or 20 elk. Uh, bedded down on the front lawn. And I remember one day uh, seeing a wolf run up the street. So it it was pretty amazing. And um, I really loved it. I've always kind of regretted leaving. Um, I'd really like to go back someday and and live there again. Anyway, I call this Jasper. We were high as kestrels on that semi-precious stone, naked, as the sun, icy water beating on our torsos as we left the jaded lake and headed for the heavens beyond the farthest ridge where wilderness consumed us like a flame. Thoughts as pure as glacial streams, trickling, meandering, blood as red as wine from deep inside the sacristy, catching molecules of oxygen like crumbs of the Christ into a shining chalice to propel us to the peaks, till we could reach no higher, and that the silken hem that every hand would touch the fabled shores of Eden, a line between the mountains and the firmament. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, a world without end on the pinnacle of paradise, that semi-precious stone on that razor-sharp September afternoon. Thank you. So, how are we doing for time? Am I okay? Very good. So, I'll I'll give you one more, and um, I want to thank Joe and Blarney Books very much. It's I'm really thrilled to be here. Honestly, I can't believe I'm in Australia performing my poetry. I keep thinking they booked the wrong Bob Jensen. And uh, so I thank you, the audience, for coming and the festival. Um, I want to mention that I do have some CDs. I have an audio book uh, called Prayer to Morning. And uh, that particular book uh, contains a lot of music um, and also what I would call soundscapes. And then I have an old recording of my folk songs uh, that I made many years ago Um, of mostly original music and some trad stuff called First Time Since August, and be happy to uh, talk to you about that if you're interested. So I'm going to close with a poem called The Burning Bush. And uh, where I grew up in northern New Brunswick, there's a very beautiful beach. Um, There are little rocks out in the harbour. You can see the Gaspé Peninsula of Quebec across the mouth of the Restigouche River. Uh, And there's a fossil cliff there with with literally millions of fossils. And they're all about 360 million years old. they are crinoids and corals and brachiopods. And it's a a very special place. And you can go there almost any time and have it all to yourself. So I like to go there and make a little fire and, and write a little poetry when I'm back home. And uh, that's where I wrote this, uh, this last poem. So thank you, The Burning Bush. I could spend a thousand summers neath the sun upon this shore, where these flat stones warm my bones and draw out all the pain from my body and my soul like a poultice made of kelp and driftwood, sweet myrrh of restigush. This little fire consumes me in spirit but not flesh, My burning bush, it whispers just like waves in the wind and cackles when I think that I might comprehend the beauty of this place, the lost labor of ages that brought it to my eyes. Half a billion summers these cliffs have watched the sea from when the world was pure before a single thought ever crossed a single mind when only God was privy to the flame of this season. The sun pours down like empathy upon my weary heart. This half-moon shore, it cradles my affection like a lover in my time of greatest need. My little fire, a chick still in the nest, singing for his food. And how I love to nurture him with birch bark and driftwood. For everything this day is burning on my shore and I could warm my soul forever here without a single want, and free, all free of care, beneath blue August skies, in Restigush in summer, on these timeless afternoons. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. No, I'm happy to... Uh Well, I've been writing poetry since I was a little boy. I, uh, I know for sure I was doing it in grade three. I was writing these uh, sappy love songs and little poems. Um, I didn't start performing my poetry until uh, very recently. I guess it would be um, about two years ago. Uh, I was very lucky uh, to be invited to a festival in England. And uh, that was my first experience uh, performing my poetry. And I thought it was very daunting to go to the land of Shakespeare and Blake and read my little poems. Uh, But (laughs) I'm starting to do it more now. I'm going back to Europe in the fall. I've got a nice little tour that uh, I'm doing of Australia here with a a brilliant guitarist uh, from Scotland by the name of Tony McManus, who's here at the festival. And, And he'll be at... Uh, the show that we're doing tonight on the island stage. So r- I've always written, uh, but I've only been uh, p- uh, performing my poetry. I used to be a, a a singer. I I sang when I was a kid. I I tried to make a go of it uh, as a folk singer, but the poetry is uh, it's very new. I mean, the performing of it is quite new. Yeah. i i have to confess i really i i'm not aware of it yeah but uh, uh who was it again yeah no i'm no no sorry happy to take any other questions if anybody uh yes Our show tonight is 6.30, and again, uh, Shane Howard is going to perform one of my poems. Uh, Tim Chason from the East Pointers is there. An aboriginal artist from Eastern Canada by the name of Hubert Francis uh, will be uh, reading two of my poems. Uh, Tony McManus will be performing a couple of my songs. And there's a local fella by the name of Paul Kelly, who's a a dig player, uh, and he's going to be there. So um, it's gonna be a 75-minute show, and it, I think it sounds like it's quite a big room. So I'm a little bit nervous, but uh, we'll see how it goes. And i uh, love it if you uh, could come, yeah. Well, if anybody's interested in my CDs, I'm very happy to uh, leave some here in Port Ferry. Thank you, thank you.